Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Dawson Files. I'm Dawson. Normally with Coco Konski, but she's uh, she will not be with us tonight. But we are waiting for Kyle Hester, who is just joined me right now as we were speaking. Kyle, how's it going, man? Oh, man, pretty good. You know how like when everything is, uh, you're, you expect time to act a certain way, and then time just does whatever it wants, and then you're running late. So I don't know what happened. Yeah. Well, well, like I say, it's, these things happen. Time gets away from us all, uh, especially in this day and age where you never know what time it is anyway, what day of the week it is. Man, so, no kidding. Yeah, so it's like losing track here. So, like I say, Kyle Hester is going to be in the famous Coco Konski seat of the left, as he will be replacing Coco and keeping me in line. And we got a lot to talk about here tonight. And, uh, and we, like I said, we got all kinds of stuff to talk about. Uh, the Postal Service. Uh, I'm going to ask the question. Are teachers less essential than grocery store clerks? Uh, the Mideast Agreement. Uh, did anybody watch the Democratic Convention last night? Did you, Kyle? I did. Yeah, I did. Okay. Well, good. Then you can give me a report because I was watching baseball and basketball. Well, come on, man. What kind of political <laughs> radio show do you have? you got to watch it all. No, I, I did see some of I mean, I did see some of their stuff afterwards. I'll you know, get caught up. But you know, I didn't see it live, but I was kind of like, it's one of those things where you're trying to keep tabs with three things. At the same time, you have the NBA basketball, the Celtics on TV. Uh, I'm following the Royals baseball on the on my computer, and then I'm trying to follow the uh, – you know, convention because I am required by my duty and job. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. We, it, it's hard. It's hard to juggle all these things, especially when you get some things coming back online that uh, have not yeah. been online before. So why is uh, what, yeah. what happened to Coco? She's not here. No, she's been taking. Basically, she's got several projects she's working on. So okay. the month of August, she's taking uh, Tuesdays off for the month of August. And then she's All coming right. on Wednesday, so, but she's, like, writing a book. She's got several different projects going on at the same time, you know, scripts and things of this nature and timelines. So that's just, yeah, so, and right special on, projects. Right well, yeah, so she's doing some special projects, so that's basically it. And, uh, yeah. yeah. So it's good to be busy. It's good to be busy. But first of all, like I say, if anybody wants to join us, here it is. You call in, 646 929 Zero one three zero six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. If you want to participate, talk, or just simply call on and just say, "Kyle, Tom, you're two of the greatest," and I guarantee <laughs> you, you, know, you say that you you might even get to the front of the list. So, yeah. 
And so yeah, we got all of those things. And uh, and Kyle, before we go any further, uh, so how's uh, how's zombies with a shotgun doing? Zombie with a shotgun is is good. You know, it's like the the, uh, the way you can you can watch Zombie with a Shotgun on Amazon Prime, free or Tubi for free. Um, so, but it, what's interesting is that uh, they it's very difficult to find a way to like make a movie successful um you know online these days so it's like it's almost like you have to have millions of people watch a film you know for or for at least on the free streaming site you know for it to to make anything yeah. so that uh that's the the challenge of doing independent film it's like uh so at this point you know it's kind of like uh we're, we're doing it because we like to make films and um you know it's it's uh so just trying to trying to figure out how those films can can uh and continue the ability to make other films um, by putting them on these uh, streaming platforms. So that's that's the challenge right now. So we're just waiting those waters and trying to figure it all out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the and, and Preacher Six obviously has been was been the, the I'm going to assume the COVID delayed that, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of you know like uh, a a big giant railroad spike in the gears of, uh, of c- completing it. But so it's slowed things down. It hasn't stopped, stopped the progress, but, um, yeah. but yeah, so we're just trying to get as much done as we can in this, uh, in this crazy time. Well, okay. Well, why don't you let everybody know exactly how they can order, uh, uh, zombie with a shotgun and plus keep tabs on your, uh, what else you got going. Uh, if you have a website or a Twitter site, if you want to kind of tell everybody right now, all of those things. Absolutely. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, um, and that's uh, at Kyle D Hester, and um, and Zombie with a Shotgun, which has its own Twitter site. Um, I mean, if you if you put a search for Zombie with a Shotgun, all those things will come up. But it's Zombie W A Shotgun because you can only have so many letters. And um, and yeah, and if you just want to go watch it and support independent film, you can just go right to Amazon, and you can either rent it. If you don't have Prime, or you can watch it for free on Prime, and please leave a review because that helps in the algorithms. Good. All right, and that sounds good. All right, uh, what I got to say, we're going to talk about a lot of things. So I'm going to start off since you actually saw the whole thing uh, last night. Uh, first of all, as a filmmaker, because obviously this is totally, I mean, this is a totally different scenario than what we're used to with political campaigns. In effect, mm-hmm. you're almost trying to make a show or a movie all at once, and where you got people at different locations. So yeah, yeah, for sure. It, so let me ask you this: the, I guess the first question, first of all, number one, uh, who was the most impressive that you saw last night? I it definitely has to be Michelle Obama. I mean, she just has such a, a charisma, you know, about um, the way that she speaks, and she's really pointed with her with the point she's trying to make. So I think that she had the, the good point um, all, all the way through. But I think that the challenge with, with doing it in, in that format is like each person that's on it has their own situation. Like some people must have been like on cell phone cameras and some people had, you know, a little bit better situation. So it's really the production value looking at it from like a producer kind of standpoint and a watcher 
you know, that, um, that that's the challenge of these times, you know, because not every, everyone's in different places. So it's like each thing is going to have its own quality level, you know, going into it. Mm-hmm. All right, well, you know, I, I think so, because, I mean, the, what I saw of it, I mean, when I went back and it was like, okay, you know, it, it, it seemed to be like there were, like I said, I would agree with you. If somebody was to say to me, you know, I mean, Michelle does what you want that opening speaker to do, set the stage for the rest of the convention. Here's where we're at. Here's what's going to happen. You know, here's our goals, our objectives. Here's why the other guy's bad. I mean, she kind of did that perfect. I thought she did that very well. And yeah, she was yeah. She, she, was she was actually the last – she was yeah. the last speaker on it. But she came in. She was like the closing pitcher. You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, you, you're going going to the baseball terminology, but and that's kind of that's what she did. She did a good job. Yeah, and you know the other thing too that really struck me. I did not know Stephen Still was still alive. I don't know if you caught Wait. his the, the Billy Porter version, uh, for what it's worth. And obviously Stephen Still was doing the guitar, in the background. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I didn't yeah. catch that. Yeah, well, that was like one of the last things, and so I mean, it's, it, it caught me because I love that song, and it's like, hey, the sixties are back. <laughs> and I have to be, and I have to be honest. I was like, oh, who's that guy? Oh my God, that's that's Stephen Stills. I mean, I didn't even know the guy was still alive. I mean, that's I mean, I mean, you have, I haven't heard or seen anything from this guy in so long. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well. Yeah, and I thought it was a very interesting. Uh, I mean, if anybody wants to chant, I mean. If, yeah, like I say, if anybody wants to, you know, kind of look at a nice, you know, a kind of an interesting version of for what's worth, I thought this was an interesting version with the Billy Porter, who I, by the way, I have not heard of before tonight. Yeah, you, know, you got to help me out, you know, you know, is you know how popular he is. Obviously, popular enough to be on, you know, the first opening night of the Democratic convention. Yeah, you know, I don't necessarily know. I don't think that it's um, it's it's going with person. You know how popular people are. I think that it's kind of like whatever is going on currently. I mean, I think that you know some of the people that that are going to be on Trump's convention, um, like the the couple that was standing in their front yeah. lawn, with, yeah. you know, with the guns, they're going to be there. So I mean, I don't think it's a popularity contest on either side, really. I mean, I. I don't know. Maybe I think it's just like trying to make a point with with whatever the current events are. Yeah. No, I was. It, you know, I just hold on. That thought we'd be right back. This time, Donaldson uh, with Kyle Hester on the Donaldson Files of Bachelor News Radio Network. If you want real discussions on politics, social issues, racial issues, and other topics, then tune into the Bachelor News Radio Show. Listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. And if you miss the show, you can listen every Monday through Saturday at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern and every Sunday at 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Listen and be informed. Welcome back to the Donaldson Files. I'm Tom Donaldson with Kyle Hester. Call in 646-929-0130. Also, you can also, if you are on Twitter, uh, you can go at the Donaldson Files. And if you got anything that you want to comment, add, 
or just uh, talk about, feel free to just simply tweet, and we will read your tweet on the air. Uh, and so, again, at Donaldson Files Twitter, for all those people who are following us on Twitter right now. Okay, and don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, Zombie with a Shotgun, independent film you can get on Amazon with our special guest. Oh, I should say, not a special guest. He's a routine guest on our show and a man who, quite frankly, is part of the Donaldson File Host Brigade and a great guy, even even when he's wrong on occasion, Kyle Hester. Wait a minute. Wait, when am I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you for, for all that, man. It's like, yeah, it's always a, a, a good time. It's always a good time coming on here and, and you know, just being able to, to, uh, to share different opinions on stuff. And I think it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Let me, okay. What, uh, let me, uh, let me ask this question. What did you think was the weakest part of last night? If, some, if you said, okay, we could have done without that, or, you know, that didn't really help. Was there anything you would sit back and say, or that there was anything in the first night you would say, God, maybe we shouldn't have had that on, or it really didn't add, or it just didn't quite look good because of the format? <sighs> I, nothing really stands out. Um, I, I think that there was – I think it was just some – like sound qualities were, were, you know, worse than, than others. I think that like, yeah. um, yeah, some of that could have been cleaned up, but nothing stood out. Like, you know, there, I, there was no yeah. moments of like, you know, uh, I would, I didn't want to like crawl into my chair or anything like that going, ah, what are you doing? You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I thought it was, I thought it was all right. I thought it was all right. You know, nothing, nothing yeah. stood out as, as being, as being terrible, you know? I mean, it's yeah. funny because, um, yeah. You know they're getting they're getting like more blowback from uh, for having Kasich on, you know than than anything else. And it's, so it's like so Kasich is now getting you know <laughs> he's getting it from both sides, you know. So I just think yeah. that's that's kind of funny though. Well, you know, but here's the thing. I mean that to me was the odd because I went back and looked at his speed. That was he was the oddball out in this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, because I have to be honest with you, is. You know, if you're going to bring in somebody, you know, of a bipartisan nature, you know, why bring in somebody who's a has-been as opposed to is now? Uh, I mean, that's a well, – And I, I didn't think, think really – there there's nobody like that now. I mean, there's nobody that's currently in office that's going to come yeah. on and, like, you know, talk yeah. to the Democratic yeah. Convention. Yeah. But, I mean, we could, and the other thing, I mean, the, I, I guess the question to me, to me would be is that, you know, because I got a kick out of, you know, OAC Cortez really did. I mean, she was basically, I mean, I think she's going to be on tonight, and she was basically one of those that, you know, what the hell are you doing on our show? <laughs> of course, though, I think what she was really saying, in my view, was what do you do taking time away from people like me? <laughs> but, oh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I see, I see what you're saying. Yeah. But he's, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, you've got a guy who basically, unless, Unless he's changed his views, has been a more of a moderate or a, a center-right person, pro-life, and you, and and if that question is, you know, if that kind of uh, question is, you know, what are you doing supporting you know this particular party that's gone that far to the left, in my uh, in my view, and, and a lot of people, and it's like, 
You know, it's I mean, it's one thing See, when you I, have I moderate. Think, I think that's a I think that's a false narrative. I think that that there is there's not really a that far to the left. Like nothing has happened. There is no that far to the left that's that's gone on. You know, so I I, I would say, what does that really mean? Well, okay, here's what it means to me. I mean, here's what it means to me. Okay, I, I I'll give you like two aspects. Okay, number one, the Green New Deal. If you look at the Green New Deal, I mean. Look at it. Basically, it's a complete transformation where you're going to basically, you know, people don't realize how radical that, you know, proposal is. And you've got Kamala Harris supported. AOC essentially supported. Biden has gone 90% of the way with it. And we're talking about where, A, we're going to tell you what energy source you're going to wear. We're going to tell you how, essentially, what kind of house you're going to live in, what kind of car you're going to buy. Uh, so on down the line, and we're going to, yeah, I mean, this is a p- complete transformation of the economic right. well, of, well, of our you know society. What, well, here's the thing. I mean, if you, if you, you know, if we can look at this from a little bit of a libertarian aspect, they already do that now. I mean, I, I can't, like, you know, um, living in a city, you know, de- detach myself from the grid and put solar energy, you know, onto my house and have whatever kind of power I want. You know, so it's like, so if you look at it from that perspective, we're already there, and, and it has been that way for a long time. So, no, I, I, no, no, I actually, in a way, I would somewhat disagree in this particular sense because utilities companies have the ability to decide which energy sources they can use uh, or not right. use. Uh, so it's not like a, you're going to have somebody from a top saying, okay, we want you to put 60% wind or solar. And no nuclear, no fossil fuels, or whatever. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a totally different picture. That's a totally different picture versus, let's say, the other aspect, when I say, you know, housing or automobile, you know, are you going to have the choice of a fossil fuel car versus an electric car? Or are you going to have, a, let's say, a small automobile that supposedly gets X percent of mileage versus, let's say, a, gas, uh, a truck or an SUV? I mean, these are yeah, the things well, that. I mean, yeah. It, uh, look, I mean, it, I think whether whether I don't think it'll it'll ever be a hundred percent in America. Like, um, you know, it has to be electric. But like Norway, all cars by I think two thousand thirty have to be electric. So, yeah. I mean, the other countries are way ahead of us as far as that particular curve goes. Yeah. Yeah, because of course the real trick is going to be what you recharge the electric car with. Because you have to charge the electric car, and you have to have a dependable energy source to do it. And right now, it's coal or natural gas that's fueling that car. Same thing, I mean, Norway can do all they want, but the reality is Norway's got a ton of oil out, you know, that they, they can use as the final fuel to recharge your car. <laughs> and so, right, and, right. And, I mean, that's. But and that's what I mean when you're talking about restructuring. It's not just about, you know, it's a complete restructuring of what, and you're going to literally have people go beyond where we are today, or how to live your life. And we've, in my view, we've gotten a taste of it through a lot of these lockdowns. I mean, we've gone far beyond a okay, in my view, because you essentially have government telling you which business needs to be closed, which business can stay open. Yeah, I think uh, we did this. In, I didn't. I mean, obviously, we are the idiots of the planet. 
because all these other countries did it right, locked down, shut everything down, everyone stay home, you know. And, but no, we can't do that because of freedom, you know, and, and which is to your – that's why we're but in such a, a bad position. I, well, I disagree with that because the Swedes did it right. They don't have – I mean, they have basically – you're not seeing new cases of COVID because they got herd immunity. But they said – well, see, here's what I think because we're, we're getting this a little bit later. We'll get into it a little bit later. But I'll actually get into it now. Because here's my problem. You know, if somebody said to me, what was the worst mistake made in all of this? And I say there are two steps. There are two steps, two mistakes. We overestimated the lethality of the virus. And it's as opposed to a limited lockdown where you basically say, okay, you know, you, you go for the most vulnerable, try to protect the most vulnerable uh, Try to protect the most vulnerable population, uh, as a, and, and certainly the Swedes understood the nature of the virus. Yeah, they had quite a few deaths compared to other Nordics, but if you look compared to New York City, they, you know, they were like one third the deaths of New York City. So I, you know, if somebody would say to me, I would say the biggest mistake was we overestimated the lethality, and I don't buy into the, to me. And I've always kind of wondered whether or not we would have been any worse off. But I will go back to the point that you make. Uh, right. You know, the well, lock. Okay. I, because here's the here's, thing. Here's yeah. the, go ahead. Here's the thing. Sweden, the country, has a population of 10.2 million people. That's yeah. not even as big as the city of Los Angeles. So it's like, so that is, I know that 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 is, People like to talk about Sweden, you know, and it, and you're talking about very, very small numbers. So, like, they could, like, go, oh, we're just going to do what we want in this city. But when you're talking about, like, a, a country of 330 million people, which we are, you know, so those numbers are going to be extrapolated much bigger, you know. So, And the reason that only cutting down a little bit of it doesn't work is because of the nature of an infectious disease. Is because if there's some people out and about getting it, and then they're going to go home to Nana, you know, who's in, in the house in her bedroom or whatnot. And then because it's, it's an, a particulate in the air, as we know now, you know, that's why you can't eat inside restaurants because you're in an enclosed space and then everybody can get it because people are breathing, you know, which is a total drag. But I know exactly what you said, but here's the thing I'm going to again, disagree because I'm going to look at because I look at this every week. You know, the data every week. And here's the thing. You know, Sweden is 10 million, but New York is very similar in size and population density to Sweden. So it's not like there is that comparison. And you can look at it, and and, it, and I would say to you that, okay, if the lockdown was guaranteed to work, then you'll be you know, then let's look at the states that had a complete lockdown, let's look at those that had a partial lockdown, those that didn't have shelter in place. And you start doing that comparison. And you come up with a totally let me put it this way, the states that had the most extensive lockdown did not necessarily have better mortality or case rates. You know, New York's a prime example. And you look at the states that have shelter in place, an example like South Dakota. You know, they have they're weathering the storm a lot better. And even if you look at Florida, if you look at Florida and California, two states, both mm-hmm. of those states 
are basically one step, or one tenth, the death rate, even at this point, of, of New York. And if you look at their infectious disease rate, the IFR, it's about one-sixth to one-seventh. And in the case of Florida, you had a reopening. And even if it was, and they're now on the downside of this virus, so is California. If you look at the hospitalization, they're on the downside. You know, they're getting mm-hmm. herd immunity. And they well, did no, it. I, t- I, t- I mean, don't okay. but, Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, what happened with California is kind of what happened with a lot of the country because uh, when we started to go down on the virus count and, I mean, um, people getting infected and all that kind of stuff, I um, mean, the very beginning, a few months ago, and that's when everyone opened up, you know, just like let's just open everything up, you know, open up bars and open up restaurants and like all that kind of stuff, even at limited capacity, and then everything spiked again. So that's that's what happened in California after that because it's like all these indicators are lagging indicators. It's like what happened three weeks ago or the numbers that you're going to be seeing today is hospitalizations. So. Um, yeah, so basically, you know, California shut down the eating inside again and gyms and all that kind of stuff. So bars are shut. So it's like all those indoor mass, you know, places where a lot of people get together, that's all stopped now. So, and now the numbers are getting better. So it's shown that it works. It's like this is you, – you have to do this if you're going to control this thing. Um, and if you don't, the numbers are going to spike again. And we're not even in, like, winter – not even in flu season yet. So yeah. hold on, there. yeah, hold on. This is Tom Donaldson, Coco Konsky, with Kyle Hester filling in for Coco tonight on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m. I make his breakfast. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. The Laugh Cafe broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center located at 2920 East Market Street in Greensboro, North Carolina. The broadcast features a Bible study-like atmosphere while taking a laid-back approach Learning the Word of God, served with a free continental breakfast. Listen to the broadcast every Saturday evening at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at the bachelornews.airtime.pro. Interested in having your own show or advertising, email us at thebachelor40 at gmail.com. Listen and stay informed. This is Tom Donaldson. Welcome back to the Donaldson Files with Kyle Hester. Uh, if you want to, call in right now, 646 929 Zero one three zero. All right. Here's why I'm going to disagree with you again on this. Because here's the, you know, because the, the one of the aspects with a pandemic is when, it's, you know, to me, the more I'm, I'm become more convinced that you need to develop herd immunity. 
The lockdowns delay herd immunity. What the Swedes were able to do is basically hit that curve earlier. And if you look again, Florida, both Florida and Texas and Arizona and California are all on the downside as far as the virus goes. And Palo Florida is working on a totally different uh, 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 site. And the question is going to be whether they get herd immunity and is California delaying the inevitable? I believe they are. Uh, and I think there's, you know, there's enough scientific evidence to say that may be the case. Uh, and I guess the other question I'm going to throw back to you is this. You know, how long do you keep something locked down and suffer the economic consequences as well? Because there's only so much lockdown and economic lockdown you can do before you start crashing things to a point beyond repair. Well, I, mean, I think it's, it's just we're all, you know, human beings are fairly smart, I, I would like to think. Um, and the people that uh, that are adapting, and I mean, like here in California, like people are moving gyms outside, and you know, there's people that are doing exercises and stuff like that, like in the parking lots, and and, it's, and restaurants are now like taking over the sidewalks and um, and having like their restaurants instead of being closed are now like outdoor restaurants with tents, and Danny's doing that, and um, you know, basically taking up the third of the parking lot with uh, with outdoor tables and whatnot. So I think that you can continue to, you know, to make money and, um, which is important, you know, to, uh, so that people yeah. are, are yeah. working, you know, it's like, yeah. I'm in the worst part of the situation right now because being in the film industry, so everything's shut down, you know, unless you have yeah. money for, for testing and, and all of that kind of stuff. Well, we can, yeah, we can, here's the interesting, because here's the thing I look at, because the other thing I'm going to look at here is, you know, because like I say, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm a political operative. So I keep tabs of these things. I also work for a foundation. And every week, you know, we, we look at several things. We look at unemployment. We look at uh, one of the things that I look at very carefully is unemployment claims. Are they going down? Are they going up? You know, because that's going to tell you what the employment number is going to be shortly thereafter. Uh, and then I look at death per capita. I look at total death. And, and I had a researcher who will be on next week, uh, Wilford Riley, next Wednesday, uh, you know, send me some data on bankruptcy. And, the, you know, the, and to me, there's a combination factor here. This, and this is uh, because it's not – we're missing the – part of the picture we're missing is this, is that the economic side does matter, and there's a point in the time when you've you got businesses who may never open up again, period, uh, in, in, in all of this. And that matters as well. And uh, Definitely. that to me is awesome. That to me, and it, it's almost like, you know, businesses. And I think, quite frankly, this is the, you know, to me, they. And, and I mean, I've made this statement. You know, Coco's disagreed. I know you're going to disagree with this. It's time to live with the virus. Learn to live with the virus. I mean, mainly because it's, as I stated, it's nowhere near as lethal as we thought. Basically, I look at it as double the flu. If you look at it statistically, analysis. Which an emphasis on the fact that if you're senior, you're more likely to suffer the consequences of the respiratory side versus the flu. And so my, you know, and that, and I'm, I'm, and that to me is, in '57 and '68, we had a pandemic very similar in lethality, different virus, it was the flu, but certainly different in lethality, and. 
and and that's the and that to me is we didn't shut down the economy in both cases. In the case of 50, in 1957, uh, you know the problem. The other problem we have is, you know, we don't have a whole lot of data of impact of pandemics on the economy. We have, you know, we know that in, during the certain from pandemics, the economy went down, uh, but we never had that study. You know, what was the pandemic? What was uh, certain government policies like 1957, uh, where you in effect had tightening of the monetary policy, may have led a little bit over tightening, may have led to a recession, but you also had a pandemic, which millions of people were out of work because they were sick for a couple of weeks. I mean, they were out because they were sick a couple of weeks, and the unemployment went from like four percent to seven percent, but it certainly did go to fourteen percent, like we have right now. And I think this is, I mean, this is why I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and let you uh, follow up on that. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I think that, uh, I think the, the situation, um, it, it, it's not where we are ready to, it's like, I don't think that it's, it's not me and it's not you. It's no one can say we're just going to have to live with this because then you are saying, that you don't care who gets sick and who doesn't, because there is a timeline for getting in a vaccine on this. And that's herd immunity is a vaccine is herd immunity. So if we're like only six months away and we have to deal with this for another six months and you lock everything down for six months. And then those people, those next 170,000 people that are going to die, maybe won't die because we locked down while we're waiting for the vaccine. So yeah, I completely disagree with that. Well, yeah, okay. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's, you know, the problem that I have with that argument is very simply put. First of all, number one, you know, uh, if you if you look at the virus and say, okay, here's I mean, when I say look at the virus, yeah, because here's the thing. Here's what we know now. If you look at California, you look at Texas, you look at uh, Florida, Arizona. Here's the interesting thing, because the interesting data to look at is what I call the infectious fatality rate. And what that simply means, in effect, is that the estimated people who've actually got the virus. And, and, and one thing, let's understand one thing right now, folks. Just because it says we got 5 million people with the virus, we're probably closer to 30 to 50 million people with the virus. And your herd immunity it's now, you know, again, there's always been a scientific debate where you begin herd immunity. You know, it may be as low as 20%. It certainly has been in the past. So I don't buy the idea we're going to lose 170,000 more people. What I would say is in case of California, in the case of Texas and Florida, a high percentage of people getting sick now are the younger patients, and they're more likely to live, they're more likely to survive. And it's overall death rate you know, are going to decline. And if you look at the numbers in this way, in May, April, May, we were looking at 3,000 deaths a night, a day. And in New York, you were looking at 1,000 a day. None of those states that I've talked about had any more than maybe 250 a night, a day. So we're in effect by, you know, in most of these states, and again, all of these states, Texas, California, and Florida, did pay attention to the senior citizen side of the equation. And they're seeing less deaths among the senior citizens, and the overall death rate has been one-third. 
So we're not, I mean, the thing is, you're going to see people die no matter what happens. And to me, we're delaying the inevitable of the herd immunity. And I'm not as convinced as you are that we're going to, that we're going to see that many more deaths. And, you know, I will get back to you. Okay, so you, go ahead. Respond. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, yeah, well, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I just don't understand how how um, that can equal that we're just going to have to see what happens, you know, with with the people that may or may not get sick. It's like if you can have an opportunity to try to figure out a way to, to, to move forward while we're waiting for a vaccine, wouldn't you take that opportunity instead of just saying, ah, whatever, just everybody open up. I mean, that's what happened in, in Georgia. And now, so Kemp, you know, retracted his, um, his ban on letting people tell, you know, their towns that they can wear masks or make people wear masks. And he retracted whatever he did because people were freaking dying and nobody wants to, you know, say, oh, I don't care if people die in my state. You know, so I don't. I don't see how you can have that opinion. No, okay. Yeah. Well, I I think I can agree because again, let's say Georgia didn't shut everything down back down. Yeah. I mean, the mask lawsuit was a, so, you know, something you know was kind of absurd. But the reality, no, he didn't shut everything down. He still kept things open. He may have shut. He may have restricted some of that. But here's the bottom line. Right now, Georgia on the hospitalization, on the death, on the actual case, the new cases, is on the decline. And the numbers they have is about one-fourth what we were seeing in April and May. In other words, you know, and the, and the, the other aspect comes into play is we also, there's an economic, and that's not just the economic cost. Okay, the CDC is now acknowledging increased suicides and increased desires to commit suicide with the black lockdown. And that's the other aspect of the equation. The economic, the closing the economy has even another economic, another physical life that we don't think about in those regards. Uh, and, you know, I've made the statement at the beginning that we'll see more damage to the economy. The longer the lockdown, the more damage and more people will end up dying overall than opening up too soon. And I, you know, and and if you look at these other states, again, I'm going to look at all these states. Their death total on a daily basis was far lower than what we are seeing in April and May. And, we're not, and so if that should tell me that – that tells me that, in effect, in effect, that is – you know, that the you – know, that we have, you know, somewhere along the line, you have to basically accept the fact there's a herd immunity. And my problem is, and this is again where it depends on the scientific side of the equation. Uh, the science you know, the equation is if we're delaying herd immunity, we may end up killing more people down and may end up having a longer spike the longer you delay it out. Uh, and that's the debate that's going on between, okay. You know, Scott Atlas, who's now joined the Trump team, and maybe somebody like Tony Fauci. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you a last word here before the next break. Uh, right on. You know, I, I think that um, I think there's no way to really tell. And I think that, uh, you know, obviously we don't know what's going what's gonna to happen, but I think that we should do everything that we can do to try to keep people from getting sick. 
Well, that's true. I mean, there are things you can do. Wash your hands, uh, uh, you know, social distancing, wear a mask uh, when appropriate. Uh, but, okay, this is Tom Dawson, Coco Konski, uh who's out tonight, but Kyle Hester is filling in very admirably and, giving, you know, and keeping me in line. This is the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Tune in to You and the Law with Chief Virgil Green and Chief Keith Humphrey. The show focuses on law enforcement and their relationship with the black community while letting you know your legal rights as a citizen when confronted by the police. Listen live every Tuesday night from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com in the podcast every Monday through Sunday at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Uh, welcome back to the Donaldson Files. Tom Donaldson with Kyle Hester filling in for Coco Konski. And uh, uh, next week we have Ian Murray uh, Tuesday talking about the socialist temptation. And next Wednesday there's a good chance we're going to be dealing with some interesting new research from uh, Professor Wilfer Riley. Uh, so you know, stay tuned for next week. And tomorrow night, Coco Konski joins us, uh, and she'll kind of update some, some, some of her projects, and, and she'll tell us, uh, like Kyle, she's going to be watching the Democratic Convention, and she'll give us her take on tonight's efforts as well. All right. All right. Okay. Let me throw. Let me throw it back. Let me throw this out. Okay. Here's the thing. All right. Okay. Okay. Because the like I say, my problem is we didn't shut the economy down in 1957 or 68, and 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 the biggest this is the problem I have. If we had the Spanish flu, which basically killed nearly one percent of our population at the time in 1918, right? And you're talking about it would have killed the equivalent of two million people. This, you know, you know, you have a much stronger case. Okay, how do we prevent this from happening? Because that's a much higher death rate as opposed to a virus that's about one tenth as lethal, and a virus that we do know that we do know, you know, strikes certain population more than others. I mean, think of it this way. Here's a Here's the risk of you dying if you're between one and four years old. 1,826,540,000. If you're five to 14, 2,563,055. Or if you're healthy without any comorbidity, it's about, it's five times even higher. If you are 35 to 44, your chances of dying is one in seventeen thousand six hundred and eighty one. And if you're healthy if you're healthy thirty five forty four we know from comorbidity is eighty eight eight thirty eight thousand four hundred three. Uh, in other words the biggest population of risk is if you're eighty five and over, your risk of dying is one in one fifty eight to one in one one seventy seven eighty eight. So and if you're in a nursing home, ditto. You got a much higher risk. So my question would be: Is this when do we you know, do we keep? This is the reason why I'm saying because there's an another cost, not just to the economy per se, making money, but an emotional and physical cost as well. Because you're also seeing, you know, you've seen over the past few months delay in other treatments. 
whether it's cancer or chemotherapy, whether it's testing for cancer, whether it's testing for, I mean, these things have also been delayed. And these are, you know, deaths we're not going to see for maybe years down the road. But we'll find out, you know, when you'll have this happen. Uh, and so I, it gives me to an interesting question here, and I know, is this? Okay, we, you know, is it time for kids to go back to school? Is it time to start well, opening think, up the schools? I, I think I think the problem with, um, and those numbers are probably all 100% correct. I mean, I'll just I'll just make that assumption. But the problem with numbers is that the numbers of people who are going to actually die does not mean that those people aren't going to spread it to people who can die. So it's like, so you open everything up and then the people who aren't going to die are, could potentially give it to the people who would. So, so that's, it's like playing Russian roulette with everyone's family. It's like, so are you going to say that, you know, that your, your uncle with diabetes, you don't care, you know, that, uh, and I'm sure that you do care, you know, but he it has a greater chance of dying if everyone's out doing their own thing and everyone gets it. So then uncle Jimmy dies. And, um, and we didn't think about that part because, oh yeah, but the kids aren't going to die because of the percentage of the chance that they're going to die. And I think that that's part of this whole thing that gets missed. Well, okay. Here's the, it's not that one misses that it's a question of, for example, <clears throat> okay. One of the things, <clears throat> excuse me, one thing they did in New York when they looked at some of the studies, uh, the biggest percentage of people getting sick were actually people who were locked down in homes with <laughs> in their homes. And, and I know there was a study done in Switzerland where they found, you know, the biggest was not, let's say, people going to bars. It was not people uh, doing protests. It was people at home. That was the biggest risk. Yeah, and, and like I think I think the thing with that is like apartment buildings, and it comes again to yeah. um, the inside thing. You know, that's apartment buildings, prisons, like anything that's like a big place where lots of people go is a problem. So absolutely, it's that's a that's a thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, like I said, I mean, to me, this is just no. a sad. It's a big, what? sad, ugly situation. You know, yeah, it is. It is. But you know, to me, like you say to me, is that we looked at this virus in a different light three months ago. I think we would have a totally different outcome. And I'm not necessarily buy into the argument that we would have had a higher death rate than what we have now. But we would have had a higher infection rate of people in a much closer version of herd immunity. I think we may end up killing more people by delaying it than saving people's lives. And I think there's, and that's the whole theory about herd immunity. You know, when do you sit back and say, okay, it's going to happen, do the best you can, and and let's see how quickly we can get through it. I mean, this is what the Swedes' policy was from day one, where they said, we feel that more people will be hurt by having a lockdown and that we would lengthen the virus. Uh, the length of the virus. Yeah. But well, I mean, the Spanish flu lasted two years, you know, and I don't no. think that they, you know, nobody had a, a plan of, of, you know, locking down versus not locking down. So I think that things are going to run their course regardless of what 
of what we do. Yeah. But just, I mean, that's my point, and that's the point is, is that, and it, you know, that's been the point I've been making all along. Is that okay? How? I mean, this is my point along because I think there's the cost to local communities. Let me put this one. I would rather have an economy with 7% unemployment, X percent people infected at a little bit higher rate and take and go with the idea that we can reduce the death, you know, keep the death rate as low as possible versus having an economy where you got 10, 14% and you got communities that simply aren't going to come back or jobs not coming back and damage that's going to take years to recover. I mean, it's a yeah, I mean, I mean, Either really, you know, I mean, this and this, this may not be, you know, what most of your audience wants to hear, but this is all Trump's fault because he didn't, he, there's no leadership from the top on how to clamp this down nationwide, like all the other successful countries in the planet have done. We're the only ones that are like, like we are. We lead the world in this stupidity of this horrible well, I virus. I disagree totally. We're ranked number eight on death per capita. There are like, and most of the countries ahead of us were countries that locked down harder than we did. So well, who, you really who's, can't who's, make the, who's leading us? Who's leading us? Okay, I'll get you the data right now. Uh, first of all, Great Britain was Great Britain. Uh, you know, let me get you right now. I'm going to get you the I'm, I'm going to get you the accurate number as we speak. So that okay, all right. Belgium, Peru, Spain, United Kingdom, Italy, Chile, even Sweden is ahead of us. We're number eight on that list. And again, you can't. So you know, is this, from a is this list from from? Like all time, or is this currently, or is this like? Oh, this is this is today. This is today. Uh, you know, between the John Hopkins and World Meter, they update every day. So this is like right. updated as we speak. I'm looking at the numbers in time. So, yes, yeah, this is as we speak. So, this is the yeah. And the thing that comes into play here is that. And I'll go back. And if we go back here to the U.S., uh, it's you know, and this is uh, you look at okay, the states that had the hardest lockdown: New Jersey, New York, uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Louisiana, Michigan. All of these states are above the national average in deaths per capita. So I, I'm not going to make you know. It's hard to make the argument that you're necessarily we are saving lives on that. And the question comes into play is this: You know, when do governors like Cuomo, who did screw up, take responsibility? Because Cuomo basically killed about one fifth of the population. I mean, he's written on thirty. You know, we're looking at thirty-three thousand people. Uh, New Jersey, sixteen thousand people. Those two states alone. Worth about almost fifty thousand people. Yeah, that's wait, nearly wait. a third. I, I, right, yeah. but um, yeah. they also took down like the the big. Basically, I think what you're omitting from this conversation is that the curve of deaths dramatically 
came down and he did flatten the curve in New York and take it down to almost nothing. I think New York is like leading, you know, right now, as far as like, uh, you know, percentages, you know, for all of the, the virus outbreak, like they did it right. Did they? So. I disagree with that because, okay, let's look at it again. Let's look at these numbers. Uh, let's look at the, you know, you know, death per capita on these numbers here because, because right now Florida is on the downside. Texas is on the downside. Uh, California is on the downside. Only Arizona is in the top 11 of all of that. And Arizona's numbers are one-third of what New York ended up. And it goes back to, again, it's the reason why, you know, you look at Sweden versus New York. You're looking at two areas, similar population with, in the case of Stockholm, a densely populated city. In the case of New York, you got New York City, densely populated. Mm-hmm. You know, if Fumo had his success record of the Swedes, we'd be looking at 20,000. Actually, he'd be looking at California numbers. Which has three, which has right, but I mean, you're population. looking at two totally. I mean, <laughs> it's it's two yeah, totally different cities. I mean, it's like New York, New York City of millions of people. Everybody lives in in high rises and apartment buildings. So it's like, so you, all all things have to be equal when you're when you're throwing out numbers, you know, and they're, and they're okay, not. Yeah. Well, well, here's the thing. I mean, okay, I'm going to put it this way. I can look at certain numbers. Okay, here's the thing. I can put it in this capacity. Is, you know, one of the things I do every week is all right, one of the things I okay maybe it's, is, is every week is, is let's put it in this capacity. You take the four top Republican states: Ohio, uh, Florida, Georgia, and Texas, compared to California, New York, New Jersey. I mean Illinois and Pennsylvania. Out of those states, all you know, and you, and there's two things you can say right off the bat. Number one, those four Republican states per capita death is one third to one fifth of those four Democratic states. The only Democrat state of those top four popular states, and we're looking at states, you know, as about as close to apples apples we're going to get, is California. Is the only state. That basically is lower than the four Republican states, or the four states that did not have as tight of a lockdown as the four as the as the Democratic states. So yeah, I mean, I, I think I can make that statement that it depends how you want to look at it. You know, regressions, and I know there have been others done as well. That's the reason why we'll have Will O'Reilly because he was one of the first to look at lockdown states versus let's say shelter in place, and he found the same thing. There was no downward trend for lockdown states to begin with. And I want to say in the case of New York, you've just it's a, there's a phrase we use, herd immunity. They have reached herd immunity in that state. That's probably the principal reason why you got the decline. Well, I, guess, I mean, the, go ahead. I, I think that there's, there's no way to know. There's no way to know that. Yeah. No way. I mean, here's the thing. It's like you know, we're all playing Monday morning quarterback. What should have been done in March? But I'll put it this way: we're not playing Monday morning. But the question is, which is the best way to go forward? Right. Yeah. It, and so, from that perspective, 
Now we got about five, about four minutes left. So what I want to do here, the last four minutes, is uh, try. Uh, you know, I'm going to ask you one quick question, and then I'm going to allow you the opportunity to talk about you know, your project, so people can once again know, you know, how to get all of your stuff. And sports is back. You know, so what's your thoughts about watching a sporting event with nobody in the audience, in the crowd? Yeah, you know what? I think that it's it's always better when you have a crowd, you know, for sure. Yeah, that's that's definitely that's part of that's part of sports. It's part of like, um, you know, the excitement of of games. But I think that for the for the real, you know, sports aficionado, then they, I can watch a game. I mean, I could watch a football game without you know, without an audience, yeah. but, but that's just, I'm like a super fan. So I guess, uh, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 you miss it, but you know, I tell you what, maybe in a way I'm starting to get used to it because they still have the murmur of the crowd. And I do love the way they like the NBA, you know, it's kind of, here's the other interesting aspect, like watching the NBA. What's really fascinating to me is there's no home court advantage. So you have a home team, but there's no home court advantage. So it's almost as if, it's about you're really playing on a neutral court, no every home court time. advantage, every time. And I that's think that's a that great a, point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, and even in baseball, I mean, now baseball, you're you're playing in the other guy's ballpark, and ballparks are different. You know, there's a different field to every, every ballpark. But you're right. In the NBA and hockey, same way. It's like there's no home court advantage. You know, I get a get kick. I mean, and 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 I look at teams like the Clippers. Well. I mean, look at certain teams like, okay, the Clippers and the Lakers. You know, even though both play in the same arena, Staples Center is pretty much the Lakers' home, and the Clippers just uh, play and play on the odd days type of deal. Right. But you know, but reality is when they play final Western Conference final, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It's like being seven games on a neutral court. So, all right, I tell you what, I'm going to do. We got about two minutes left. It's Tom Donaldson. Uh, tomorrow night, Coco Konski joining. I want to thank Kyle Hester for joining us. Uh, you did, once again, a great job uh, filling in on the famous Coco Konski seat of the left. You did it proud. So why don't you go ahead and tell people again how they can uh, watch your movies and how they can keep tabs on you. All right. Uh, first of all, there's no one can replace Coco. She's awesome, and uh, so. Uh, but I'm happy to be here. Uh, you can find me at uh, Kyle D Hester on Twitter. Um, and actually, what would be really cool is if you go to my Twitter and go to my uh, website for my YouTube page. Uh, follow me on YouTube. That will be awesome because I'm trying to build the channel up and just have some fun, and it's not political or anything like that. It's just kind of goofy, and you learn, you know, I tell about my film stories and stuff like that. I think it's YouTube, Kyle Hester land. Just look up Kyle Hester on YouTube and you'll find my channel. So that would be awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much, Kyle, uh, 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 Kyle for joining us. Uh, we, as usual, we love having you on the show and introducing the uh, being part of the show. This is Tom Donaldson saying good night from the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
follow you, and I'm not going to follow you and give you birth for protection. Now, I'm telling you, for your own benefit, you had better turn around and get out of this area. You're not going to the courthouse in a group well, on the condition that you come here, and I'll assure you that. All we would like to do, sir, is to go to the courthouse. is closed. We don't, we don't, we don't want to go in the courthouse. All we want to do is go to the lawn of the courthouse, kneel in prayer, and we'll gladly return. You take your prayers back to your church. That's a proper place to pray. Yeah, I'm, sure that, I'm sure that God will hear your prayer just as well down there as it will up here, but you're not going on this courthouse long. So. Sir, whenever there are men who are in sinful conditions, prayer should be uttered wherever they are. Well, why don't you pray where you are? Go back down there and pray. You, you think you are, you are uh, lily white? You think you're not sinful? Huh? Well, then go back to your church and pray. Well, sir, can we pray together, you and I? <laughs> you do your prayer. I do mine, big boy. You oh, don't pray you, for me. I don't want you to pray for well, me. Well, will you pray for us? Because I don't think your prayers get above your head. Well, will you pray for us? No, I'm not going to pray for you. I'll tend to my business. You tend to yours. Now, you sir, better move these people out of here. Sir, We're trying to protect you, you have sir. To how to love you sir, I don't have to love anybody I don't want to love. Sir, you do your own love. You love your little niggas. I love who I please. You, do you believe in equal justice, Law? I believe in justice. Do you believe in equal justice? I don't believe in equal nothing. There's no two people in this world alike, and not, they are not equal on any terms or conditions. There's no two peas in the world alike. No two pieces of money or nothing else. Then, sir, are you saying that if I have a quarter and I'm black and you have a quarter and you're white, then my quarter isn't as worth as much as your That's quarter? That's your quarter. I'll is decide, my quarter is worth? I'll decide what my quarter is worth. You use yours and I'll use mine. Well, you can't be famous in yours. Hey, we want to welcome our listeners to this, this edition of uh, You and the Law. Uh, you have just listened to a... Um, a recording uh, courtesy of uh, Facebook uh, in reference to a 1965 encounter uh, between uh, Jimmy Webb and the uh, deputy sheriff in um, Selma, Alabama. Uh, again, this was in 1965 in Sel- Selma, Alabama. Uh, where Jimmy Webb uh, led a group of peaceful protesters to the courthouse. The group was met by uh, the local law enforcement, and the the voice you heard was uh, the deputy sheriff, uh, L.C. Croker. Um, And we wanted to start the show out off by playing that audio clip, and uh, because over the next several weeks, uh, we will have a series of shows on you and the law addressing uh, law enforcement uh, building bridges with the African-American community. Um, and this also kind of goes into, uh, you know, some recent events with, uh, with, with protesters. So um, I've got uh, my uh, co-host, uh, the host of the show, uh, who goes by uh, T-Swag. How you doing today, sir? What's going on, my brother? How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing good, man. It's good to hear your voice, man. I feel like I can't touch you. No, man. We no, we we got distance between us, man. But uh, you know, <laughs> hey, I'm gonna give you a high air five, high five. Uh, hey, all right, we'll do it. We'll do the elbow thing. We'll do the elbow. Yeah. All right. So, so yeah. So uh, so, Keith, man. I mean, you know, when we were talking about. Um, 
you know, the topics of what we were going to put together for the listeners uh, this week. You know, we talked about putting together a series of shows uh, talking about, you know, building the bridges uh, between the, the law enforcement and, and the African-American community. And I tell you, you know, Keith, that when I found that video and, and listened to it, um, and I encourage our listeners, you know, if you haven't seen this video um, on YouTube, you just type in the name uh, Jimmy Webb. Um, and just that encounter, Keith, with uh, law enforcement, uh, with, the, with that deputy as they were trying to walk to the courthouse, really, uh, you know, it kind of puts you, you know, when the black community talks about the distrust between the police with current events and past events. And this was just in 1965. Uh, and what was so striking about that, uh, that audio clip was to hear this sheriff deputy tell this young black man that, you know, his quarter did not mean the same as his quarter did. I mean, it was just that simple that even though I'm a, here's a man who's supposed to uphold the law and supposed to protect. And they were actually in some manner trying to protect the protesters from the other violent protesters. Uh, and, but here was a young man in a group trying to go and pray on the, um, on the grounds of the courthouse and they were met with, with resistance. Yeah, man, you know what's you know what's interesting about that? That was that was during our lifetime. And and, and so yeah. when you really think about it, you and I don't we don't consider ourselves old. And so that happened during our lifetime and you know, it's imagine you can just see that as clear as day, uh, that that any of the civil rights marches that you watch or you read about, you can picture that, uh, based on some of the things that are going on in today's in the in today's times. And I was talking to a young man um, in Norman. It's about to be the first uh, Muslim officer uh, promoted in the history of that department. And he was talking mm-hmm. about 1968, 1969. And he's, he's, he's at least 15, 16 years younger than you and I, Burbs. And he was like, Chief, do you realize that that was just, you know, Martin Luther King's uh, assassination was just 50 Two years ago, I said, "Man, yes, I was alive during that time." And you just, it just all of those things that are going on right now throughout the nation just help us come back and vividly remember the things that we remember, the things we've seen, um, the things we've read about, uh, and you know, it, it's it's just amazing uh, that it that is. that that just seems so so not so long ago. Um, and and to hear someone who's entrusted with the safety of of, of people's safety uh, that was there for the safety of the of the of the uh, individuals who were trying to vote, all they wanted to do was vote. That's all. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they were, uh, you know, they were treated that way by a member of law enforcement. Yeah. And I, and I'll say this, you know, while protesters are not met with the same type of language uh, today as we heard in the in the audio clip, uh, we have seen peaceful protesters met with acts of violence 
from law enforcement officers. Uh, uh, with recent events, you continue to see the bridge between becoming more divided. Uh, you know, instead of the bridge coming closer, it's becoming more divided. Um, and and it's why you have groups like Black Lives Matter and, and other activist groups who are, you know, protesting, peaceful protesting. And, and as we know, you know, a lot of these protests have not been peaceful. Um, and you do have people who are instigating some some violence, uh, but for the most part, you have a lot of peaceful protesting going on. Um, and again, Keith, you know, just like you said, I mean, you know, this, these things happen in our lifetime, and um, and for those listeners who are listening to us, uh, as well as in, even some of the older listeners. So, um, you know, Keith, I just want to encourage. Our, our, go ahead. But first, check this out. You know, I think uh, I think there are some law enforcement. I think there's a small percentage of law enforcement executives out there, whether it be sheriffs, constables, or police chiefs, that really don't see, or they'll debate you whether uh, excessive force and violence are the same. They'll, yeah, they'll debate right. you on that because because they falls under the umbrella of. The force continuum, it falls under the uh, umbrella of uh, control uh, and the actions of meeting the resistance of a person. But they'll argue with you that excessive force, the the amount of force used greater than necessary to uh, conduct an arrest or detention uh, is not the same as, as violence. And so I think that's one of the things that also people have a hard time of um, of uh, comprehending of why is that not violence? What's different than that or someone assaulting you? Um, you know, exactly, exactly. Hey Keith, uh, we're coming up on our first break. We're going to take uh, a quick break, and uh, you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you want real discussions on politics, social issues, racial issues, and other topics, then tune into the Bachelor News Radio Show. Listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. And if you miss the show, you can listen every Monday through Saturday at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern and every Sunday at 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Listen and be informed. Hey, we want to welcome our listeners back to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, We want to remind our listeners that the calling number to the show is uh, 646-929-0130. That's 646-929-0130. And if you have a comment, uh, let the uh, show producer know that you've got a comment or if you would like to come on the air with us um, so you'll hear some some silence, but uh, just don't be uh, radio shy. Come on and talk with us. Uh, this is what this show is about. It's about connecting with our listeners, uh, Keith, and uh, getting their input and, and just uh, making this, uh, this 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 show uh, very informative uh, to where we can interact with our listeners. Um, and, and, again, I think this is a great topic, uh, and hopefully we'll get some comments. Um, and also, you know, if you, you can also go into the chat room and you can – leave your messages in the chat room. 
And um, so I'm excited about this show, Keith. I think it's a good topic. And, you know, there's a lot of police departments that are doing a lot of good things. But then there's uh, these are conversations that we have to have uh, in order to really make sure that we are, are building those bridges that everybody deserves and every uh, person of color wants to have a good relationship with their police department. Man, what is so difficult about being proactive? I mean, what's so? Why is that such a difficult it, task? What's that? Why is it so it, difficult to be professional? And why is it so difficult to uh, talk about have the have conversations about? You know, people call them uncomfortable conversations. I, I don't think it's uncomfortable. I mean, you know, as as an African American, I've been in comfortable positions pretty much all my life. So why is it difficult to talk about? You know, uh, talk about cultural competency and cultural diversity and talk about emotional intelligence. Why are we always, why is that always a bad thing when it comes to law enforcement and having those discussions? Yeah. And again, there's, and you have, you know, uh, the other side, you have the white officers who feel like, man, you know, why you guys keep talking about this? That was in 1965 or that was in 1975. You know, we're in, 2020, you know, but you still see some of the the same type of things that have occurred with between the police and the black community. And for us as being in law enforcement, it, it's having that conversation and building that bridge to make sure that that these things do not continue to happen in in our minority communities, whether it's a black community or, or a Latino community, um, there has to be, law enforcement has to go about doing a better job in really repairing the bridges that have been broken. And when you go back and you look at this and you hear this clip uh, that took place in 1965, you a lot of those things, nothing had really changed a whole lot, Keith. I mean, yeah, some things have changed, but you still had police officers across the country, especially in the South, who were very resistant to minorities and their rights, basically saying, go ahead. I will tell you one of the most hardest things to get law enforcement, especially, you know, both black and white officers, because I want to I want to make sure that the audience realizes that that's a that's a two sided coin. When you talk about officers that have issues with people of of color or, or, or whites and that's black and white officers, Hispanic officers, Asian officers, there are those small percentages or those that there is that group of of each culture, ethnicity that has a problem even with their own um, culture and ethnicity. Um, I brought a topic up not too long ago in my department. I just asked a simple question and made a a general statement. And I was asked by a black officer, you know, why would you bring that? Why did you start that? Why did you bring that topic up? And what kind of uh, response were you expecting? And, you know, my thing was I was expecting um, adult dialogue open dialogue, mm-hmm. starting a dialogue yeah. and see what people think. You don't have to agree with me, but let's just have a, a dialogue. And and so I think um, that badge is, you know, when people put those badges on, man, some people put those badges on, they change, man. Some do, not all. Some some change, the majority change for the best. The 
but there are those that are so entangled uh, with that badge and feel that that badge is uh, defines who they are. Uh, they get badge heavy, and when you get badge heavy, you make mistakes and you forget about why you became a police officer and you forget about the oath that you took. It's all about the power, and that's the sad thing. If we we've got to get past that in order to regain trust in our communities. Well, you know, Keith, that's a good point you make because, you know, a lot of the older uh, black police officers, uh, a lot of those guys work in the same communities their whole entire career. Uh, everybody knew them. People at the corner store knew them. People at the the liquor stores knew him. Everybody knew who that officer was, whether it was walking a beat or whether he drove in that in that area. And you have a a newer generation of police officers who it's not so much about connecting with the community. Um, and I think that's something that you know. And I'll ask you this question: Do you do you see that that is something that is really upon the older? Uh, black police officers to really um, mentor the young black police officers to say, hey, you know, I walk the beat. Um, you know, like here in Oklahoma City, there was a police officer I knew well named, named Stone. He walked Northeast 23rd for decades, and everybody knew him from Broadway uh, all the way to, to ML King in Northeast Oklahoma City. Um, and you had a lot of other older black police officers who are well-known, but nowadays you don't, the community don't really know who these officers are. They may see them one or two times and it may be in a good situation. It may not be. So do you think it's upon, and that's another part of building bridges. Do you think it's upon the, the older generation of black police officers to really mentor the young officers and say, Hey, listen, yeah, I know you may want to move around, but, have some kind of connection with with the uh, with the community that you're serving. Yeah, I think um, we. Yeah, absolutely. I think mentoring is amazing, and it's it's a good thing that it's a thing something that has to be done. But the younger officers have to be receptive of it, and then you have yeah, to in the, in the academy and in field training. That's why you have to have the right people teaching at the academy and the right field training officers to bring home that, that importance of getting out of that police car while walking and talking and, you know, having, having dinner at people's homes, you know, we got to get out of that fear that everybody's trying to hurt us. You know, it's, I think it's, and I've said this before, we don't, we, we do ourselves in a, uh, a disservice by not, um, by being paranoid. It's okay to be cautious and, and safe but I think we become so paranoid that we believe that everybody wants to hurt us and everybody, you know, when people say certain things, they, they're, they're trying to disrespect us and things like that. So I think it is important for, for those older officers, those veteran officers and those officers that retire uh, to tell their story and tell how they were able to, especially think about the African-American officers back in the forties and fifties, that basically that's all they were allowed to do is foot patrol. Uh, and then yeah. you look at the amount of crime that was in those those communities compared to the other communities, it was it was very low or non existent because those officers um had to 
uh, they were forced to be on foot, but they took advantage of that, and they and they were able to meet, uh, get out and meet the, the citizens. And a lot of those officers were from those communities. Yeah, yeah, they were, and 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 that's a good point, you know, to make that these officers, you know, back, you know, what is maybe even thirty, forty years ago, Keith, they could not arrest uh, any if they did make an arrest. A white officer had to come and pick up their the person that they arrested and take them to jail. The black officers couldn't do that, uh, and so they were confined to that that area that they uh, were, were was assigned to. And and so when you look at crime, yeah, crime is out. You know, there definitely was crime, but not to the level that we're seeing the way we're seeing it now. Yeah, of course cities get bigger uh but at the same time you you've got a better uh you've got more individuals who have a better connection with the community with the churches and and with the youth in the community because i guarantee you there was a lot of people a lot of young men and women growing up who were who were told by their parents hey you don't want to mess with officer so-and-so because officer so-and-so is going to come home and tell mama and daddy so there was a little bit more of a of an understanding uh, about what was going on in that community. Yeah, it, it was. You're absolutely right. And, and it wasn't about fear. It was about respect. Um, you know, I think now uh, there's a lack of respect for the, for the for law enforcement, and there's also fear. Uh, and, um, you know, when you see things that are occurring throughout the nation, uh, you kind of understand that, and, and we've got to get that. We've got to earn that respect back, and uh, try to diminish the fear that individuals have in us, especially, especially communities of color. Yeah, and 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 you know, Keith, you know, one of the things, especially with the recent events that have, that have taken place, that have been really highly publicized with the death of black men and and, and black women. Uh, you know, across the country, uh, and you s- still see that divide where there there's a reason why this happened, and the reason why it happened is because of what this, the actions of what this African-American person, male or female, did that led to their death. Uh, and so then when you hear conversations like that, then the people in the, the the black community they're very intelligent and and the question is is you know I'm looking at the same thing that you're looking at how you formed a different opinion uh about what we both have seen and so that continues that divide between the black community uh and and law enforcement and one of the things you know law enforcement is going to be around. Everybody's going to be around, but how do you coexist uh, and, and make the best of it and, and make uh, and make things better for your community? And, and one of the things, Keith, as we, you know, talk about this topic, you know, our listeners, if, if there is something that you're doing in your community uh, that's building bridges with your uh, local police department, feel free to to call in and let us know what you're doing and how, how that's working, if it's working or if it isn't working, and what has been some of the challenges that, that you have faced as, a, as an activist, whether you're involved with Black Lives Matter or whatever 
organization you're involved with, uh, NAACP or whatever it may be, um, let us know what what you've done in your communities to a better bridge uh, with your local law enforcement. Uh, Keith, we're getting ready to come up on uh, to take a, to take our next break, uh, but this is a uh, again a, a great topic that uh, we uh, hopefully our, our listeners will be engaged with us and 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 uh, share your comments and your and some feedback with us uh, throughout the show. But uh, you know, Keith, uh, uh, this is a uh, it's a good topic, brother. Yeah, it's an amazing topic. Uh, I'm I'm excited about it. So uh, I guess we'll go to commercial break. Yeah. Hey, you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. This is Dr. Larry Fidoa, host of the Dr. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, inviting you to listen live every Wednesday evening from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. I am called the philosopher of current events, an independent, open-minded conservative with my own ideas. If you are interested in advertising or having your own show, email us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. Hey, welcome back to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Hey, we want to remind our listeners that there is a, a great line of shows that are on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And one of those shows uh, is Life Cafe Broadcast uh, for Maximizing Life Family Worship Center located at uh, 2920 East Market Street in Greensboro, North Carolina. The broadcast features uh, Bible study, uh, like atmosphere, while talking uh, while taking a laid-back approach to learning the words of God, serve with a free continental breakfast. Listen to the broadcast every Saturday evening at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at the bachelornews.airtime.pro. Uh, and if you're interested in having your own show or if you're interested in advertising with us, uh, reach out to us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. That's labachelor40 at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, we want to. This is a uh, a topic that we're talking uh, about this evening is uh, building the the bridge uh, between uh, law enforcement, uh, a divided America. We've seen so many things, Keith, over just this past several months um, that has really tested uh, law enforcement and tested the the black community, tested the Latino communities with how they interact with law enforcement. Um, in these challenging times, and not to mention that we are in the middle of a pandemic and in the middle of a of a pretty contested presidential election. Yeah, it, it's um, it's trying time. Twenty twenty has been just a it's been a, a very tragic and trying year for for the for the nation and um, you know the world. And how we come out of this year is going to speak volumes for the resiliency of the men and women of this country and this world. Um, but you know, it's, there are it is trying times, and and us, you know, it's um, you never know what's going to happen day from day to day. No, you 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 never do. And one of the things is that you know, 
we with the protesting that continues to happen, and I think you know uh, in Portland and in Seattle, they're still dealing with uh, with a, a large scale protest. Um, there's other protesting that even here, even in Oklahoma City, there's protesting that, that's occurred uh, almost weekly. Um, and then there's even in, in Louisville, Kentucky, with uh, Breonna Taylor's death, there's still protesting going on there. So um, the law enforcement leadership is really going to have to uh, meet with uh, community leaders, meet with these community activists, uh, whether it be uh, – and, and I'm going to ask this question, Keith. Why is it such a resistance to Black Lives Matter uh, organizations? It, it, it's almost kind of like the, there's been this label that has been put on this organization is almost like it's some – you know, terrorist group, and they're out to uh, to kill police officers. They're out to do all these these bad things, but nobody is looking at the good things that this that this that Black Lives Matter has done across this country. And they they definitely uh, put a spotlight on things that have occurred in the law enforcement community. I can I can tell you why, Virgil, because there is a there is a sense of or there is a perception, or let me just say, uh, there's a reality of, of people not wanting to hear the word black. It's just like when, when we talk about Noble, or we talk about MBPA, or we talk about NFBPA, uh, National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives, National Black Police Association, National Association of Black uh, Public Administrators, uh, former Black Public Administrators, uh, NAACP. That's a nervous. It causes people to be nervous because people think that we believe we're superior. No, it's the fact that we want a seat at the table, and for so long we haven't had this seat at the table. And what the and what you're hearing from Black Lives Matter is that we want to be respected. Our lives matter also. Somebody asked me. You know, one time should it be Black Lives Matter? Also, no, um, I have no problem with Black Lives Matter. Uh, are there people that take advantage of that title and, and they're opportunists and they do things under that umbrella? Absolutely. But you hear me say things like the majority, the Black Lives Matter movement, it caused a lot of positive things throughout the nation when you start talking about police reform and you start talking about having dialogue with police chiefs. Um, having uh, police chiefs coming out and admitting that there has been some injustices done uh, over the over the years uh, when it comes to communities of color. So I don't know. I think it gets, it's the same thing when you start talking about Noble and MBPA and FBPA, like I said a few minutes ago. That makes people nervous. Uh, people believe that that's a that's a uh, uh, a segregated organization. But what I will say, if you go to any of the national conferences or any of the functions, you see a large number of whites, Hispanics, Asian um, attendees and members in these groups, just like you see whites, Asians, Hispanics as part of Black Lives Matter. But I think sometimes people can't get past the name, uh, and they automatically think that that means radical, that means disruptive, and that's totally not the case. It just basically means 
our lives matter. We want to be respected where respect is overdue. Well, and you're right. I mean, when you you said uh, one of the people look at it as if it's a radical uh, group. Uh, these are radical people who are a part of it. Uh, and, and, and then you have people who uh, on the law enforcement side of the community, you know, all lives matter or blue lives matter. And, and so it, it, it they're, they're missing the it, point, Virgil. They're missing yeah. the point. When you, when yeah. you say things like that, you're missing the point of the movement. It's not saying that everybody else doesn't matter. It's the fact that saying it's time to realize that we have something as African-Americans to bring to the table and our lives mean just as much as anyone else. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And, and it goes back to, you know, just listening to the audio of 1965 where uh, you probably still have some of those same uh, things that are occurring in law enforcement, in some police department, somewhere in, in America. Uh, uh, you probably still have uh, an officer with the same views as that uh, officer had in 1965. Uh, and so, you know, when you, you cannot dismiss it and say it does not exist, it does exist, and, and especially when, you know, even in the law enforcement community, there's a bridge that needs to be built better between uh Black police officers and white police officers. We've seen, you know, we talked several weeks ago on the show where uh, a young lady was uh, pulled over who was a who was in the federal um, law enforcement, um, and she shared this uh, Facebook Live video uh, about how she was treated uh, on this traffic stop, and she was in a uniform and she was issued a citation. And she said, hey, if I was speeding, I deserve a ticket, but I knew I wasn't speeding. But she didn't try to argue that make her point on the side of the highway. She's just going to go to court and and deal with it in in court. But it just goes to show you that that level of respect, and it comes back to respect because I don't – I have never seen, and I'll ask the listeners out there, have you ever seen a – white police officer, the video about him being pulled over by a black officer being issued a citation by a black officer. You know, I don't think I've ever seen such a video uh, circulating, circling on social media. And, and it, no, I don't want to make this out I to be a black one. and a white. Yeah, I don't want, this is not about black and white. This is about respect and how we even treat each other, and the fact that there is a bridge between police and police. So, you know, last but, but week, you know what, Virgil, one of the listeners. Virgil, yeah, go ahead. Virgil, let me, let me, let me, let me say this, man, and, and to the listeners out there, um, you know, we, really, we thank you for tuning in. We, we enjoy this. Virgil and I talk about our show all the time uh, with each other and the producer. But but this show isn't about to talk about the comfortable uh, topics. And, exactly. you know, I'm sorry if people feel that we're focusing just on black and white issues. That's not the case. This is historical issues, historical yeah. issues that, that have been faced throughout hundreds of years. So we're not bringing up anything that's new. We're not bringing up anything that's not true. 
as you know, we continue to talk about the positive things. The majority of the police officers, I'll say this again, 90 plus percent of the police officers and the police departments out here are doing the right thing. But you do have that percentage of the police officers to say, let's say 5% of the police departments and 5% of the police officers that are causing 95% of the problems. And they're not willing to change. Let's talk about the sheriff in Florida who refuses to follow the mandate about the mask. Now, if the sheriff is saying something as simple as the mask, I'm not going to follow, and this is a, a public safety and public health thing, what other um, things are he, is, is he allowing his, his, his officers to do? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it is... Uh, you know, we again, we want to remind our listeners uh, the calling number to the show is uh, six. The calling number to the show is uh, six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. That's six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. If you got any comments or if you'd like to come on air and uh, and share your your thoughts about the topic that we're talking about. Um, and Keith, we have a, a question that was uh, sent to us that was sent through email, um, asking, uh, "Have have you noticed an increase in hate crimes? Um, if not, do you anticipate an increase coming from upcoming elections?" You know what, Virgil? I think since 2008, there has been um, a, a, a number of increase in hate crimes. The problem with that is every state has a different hate crime law. And so yes. where some are some are very specific regarding uh, ethnicity, uh, you know, your uh, gender, uh, uh, you know, uh, your sexual preference, there are those states that outline that anytime someone that fits in that category is attacked specifically being for that reason, it's a hate crime, but there are those states that they don't have hate crime bills on the on the on the books. So it's really difficult to determine the actual number if there's been an increase or a decrease. But I will say that there have been an increase in talking to chiefs around the state and reading. There has been an increase of some of the uh, things that we would consider hate crimes if, if every state had a, a, a bona fide uh, hate crimes law. You know, nooses, uh, racial slurs, um, people being attacked. Uh, you know, we saw the one the other week where the, the young man was um, in the wooded area and he was being held down uh, by a group of people. Uh, you know, it, 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 so it's happening out there, but the actual numbers. But I'm going to I'm going to based on what I've seen and, and, and talking to uh, other law enforcement executives. I believe there is an increase. Yeah, well, Keith, and I just found uh, just uh, information put out by the FBI. Uh, back in 2018, uh, there was a 16-year high in 2018 uh, in uh, an upswing in violence against Latinos um, and assaults on uh, Muslim and, and, and Arab Americans. So, uh, you know, those are some, some numbers from 2018. And so... Uh, you know, and like you stated, each state classifies certain crimes different. Uh, you know, there may be a federal hate crime. There may not be a, a state um, 
a hate crime. It may fall under some type of assault. So those numbers are not really, uh, that data isn't really collected. But, uh, Keith, uh, we're going to jump into our uh, our next uh, break. Uh, listen to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe radio broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Join Barry Barnes for Locker Talk on the Bachelor Pad Network as he presents NFL news and evaluates players. Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. Hey, welcome back to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. I uh, want to remind our listeners the call-in number to the show is uh, 646-929-0130. That's 646 and we also want to remind you that you can follow You and the Law on our social media uh, uh, platforms. You can follow us on Facebook at uh, You and the Law. You can follow us on Instagram. That's You underscore and the Law. And you can also follow us on Twitter at You the Law One. So you can connect with us uh, through social media. You can send us comments. You can like our page. You can. Um, if you have a topic that you would like for us to, to talk about, please uh, do so in, in the comments section. But uh, we want to just, you know, thank our listeners for listening to us today. And and uh, also just share with your family and friends and everybody about that you listen to you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And uh, uh, the uh, information that we talk about is, is very informative and it's uh, – it definitely starts the uh, sparks the conversation uh, with you all about uh, things that matter to you and what's going on in in the black community. And, and Keith, this is a, a a good topic of of building bridges with uh, police and and the minority communities. You know, Berta, just go back to that last question that the the listener sent in. Um, based on the unknown. Uh, I have um, mandated that there be no leave uh, the week of the elections for my department, uh, just based on the unknown, based on Mm -hmm. what's going on in the nation right now uh, with the, you know, George Floyd, you know, incident. And then you got Portland and you've got the other areas. And we just don't know what this, how um, heated this election is going to get. And then with the COVID, uh, based on the fact that we believe that's just going to be uh, just the unknown, I've said that no one in the department um, uh, is allowed to take uh, that week off. So we've frozen our uh, our leave for that week. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you know, Keith, that, that's another interesting topic, uh, especially with everything that we're dealing with, uh, with uh, COVID, with this presidential election, how things are so divided, and just the rhetoric that is going on every single day and how that is playing into things that occur and the fact that 
law enforcement is at the forefront of every event that happens. If there is protesting, law enforcement officers are at the forefront of that. If there's any kind of violence, we've got our police officers that are dealing with that. And uh, so there's definitely going to be some challenging times, unfortunately, uh, you know, what, over the next 80-something days leading up to this uh, uh, election. And uh, I, I just don't see it to be getting any better because of the rhetoric that is coming out and the things that that's, that's being shared on social media. So, uh, you know, people really need to be mindful. And, and, again, what I tell everybody and what I do, I educate myself on things before I make a comment about something because, again, uh, there's a lot of false information that's being put out, uh, to, especially on social media. Yeah, I agree. I think Michael uh, from Arkansas has a question for me. Go ahead, Michael. Hi, how are you doing, Chief? Uh, the question I have for you is, that how do you take the next step from being a law enforcement administrator to being a chief law enforcement? How do you take the next step from being, say that again? Um, how do you become a chief police? How do you take that next step to on your journey? Yeah, I think he's asking. I think what he's yeah, asking, go, go teachers, ahead, you know, going from you know from a a front line uh, patrol officer, maybe moving up through the ranks of a of a sergeant, lieutenant, captain. How, what is that next step for an uh, individual who's trying to become a police chief in the positions that we hold? Well, number one, that's a good question. Thank you for that, Michael. Uh, you know, that's, that's a mentoring question. And one of the things that I always say is that you've got to have it in your heart. Um, becoming, a, becoming a chief is really nothing that you, do, that you want to do at the last minute. There has to be some part of you that wants to make change. And everything that you do, every, every, every assignment that you take, you have to have vision, and you have to be willing to make change and make the and make the difficult decisions. Um, what I always tell young men and young women is that whatever rank you are currently are, I always think of the higher the next highest rank. So if you're an officer, think like a sergeant. If you're a sergeant, think like a lieutenant. If you're a lieutenant, think like a captain, and, and so forth. And be and be mindset. Always be a student of the profession. Take those difficult assignments, the ones that no one wants, uh, and, and and learn from those. Learn. You learn every day is a learning experience. Every day is a job interview, but you have to want to to do it, and you have to be willing to accept the fact that everybody's not going to like you. You might not be well liked, you know, but as long as you're respected, that's the main thing. Okay. Okay. And and, and okay. I have to. I have to tell hey, Michael, you, uh, Michael, versus, let me just say this. And, Michael, one more thing. You have to have the support of your family. Uh, yeah. You can't make that decision on your own. You have to sit down and have those long discussions with your family. You have to have those long discussions with yourself and those long thinking periods of, am I cut out for this job? Can I still, does my family support me? Because there's going to be a lot of long hours that you're going to put in, a lot of events. And so those are two main things. You have to have strong faith. Yeah. And and I have to tell you, uh, Chief, 
I recognize the voice of Michael in Arkansas. He he was one of my uh, former officers, uh, actually a former lieutenant in in Helena, West Helena. So uh, uh, I I spent uh, two years around uh, around him and and definitely tried to encourage him to uh, to definitely grow his 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 law enforcement career. And I think that's another thing that's important, uh, Keith. And as you know, it it's that police chief being a good uh, mentor to the officers that are under them and, and giving them uh, the outlets to, to grow and, and putting them in a position to learn more uh, because at the end of the day, you and I, we're not going to be police chiefs forever. And there's a, a newer generation coming up. So um, he, he's a, he's a good, uh, he's a good police officer. And uh, I'm hoping that he, one day gets to to that level of where he wants to be at. Well, I think it will. I believe it'll happen. I think it'll. I believe it'll happen. Yeah, yeah, it's a good guy. Hey, uh, definitely appreciate you, Kyle, uh, Austin Thomas, and uh, thank you for listening to you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network, and uh, continue yes, to be a, a, a loyal listener, sir. Will do. All right, thank you. Hey, hey, Keith. We got a, a another. Hey, Keith. We got another question uh, from another listener. Uh, is and it's re- related to the media. Uh, can a can a member of the media ever be charged with incitement? Uh, can they say what they want in every case, every case situation, um, and uh, and can they hide under the First Amendment? So. Um, that that's a, a question related to the news media. You know what what's your uh, what's your comments on on that, Keith? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the First Amendment right, the First Amendment doesn't give you a right to break the law. Uh, you know there there are people there are uh, media personnel uh, that are arrested all the time for uh, attempting to cross crime scenes or disobeying the disobeying the governmental order or um, you know, and then think about this. There are those individuals who claim to be um, part of the media. I mean, they actually claim to be, claim to have the credentials uh, because they feel that they can get away. But your, but your average media person uh, is not going to do anything uh, to break the law. Uh, they're going to stay within their First Amendment rights. Uh, they know what they can do and what they can't do. But there are going to be those that are going to push the envelope. But, no, you can't hide behind First Amendment rights. Just like as a police officer, uh, we're not supposed to hide behind uh, the badge and, 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 and commit criminal acts and think we can get away with it. So, of course, yeah, they can be held accountable for their actions um, if they if they break the law. And, and there have been some that have. Yeah. Well, and you know, Keith, I, I think one of the things with the things we've seen over the recent, over the past several weeks and months, where the the news media they've got a job to do, and and that's reporting the news. And I think there's there's a, a group, uh, there's people who feel like the news media is only reporting certain parts of the news story, and to some degree that they feel like that they may be inciting certain parts of what is occurring uh, in their plan off of this one side uh, of, uh, with, with the emotions of certain, uh, of certain groups. So 
but like you said, you know, you do have a lot of people out here who are claiming to be part of, of, of the media. They, they may not be part of the, as cer- certain people say, the mainstream media, but you've got bloggers out here. You've got, you've got freelance people uh, reporting, doing everything. Um, and so I think those are the individuals that you really have to be concerned about because it's what they're disseminating and putting on social media, how true, how accurate is that information that they're putting out to the public. You know, the sad thing, Virgil, before, you know, we go to another break, the sad thing about it. Actually, we won't have to go to another break. We're going to go. Okay. The sad thing about it is you have these amazing reporters out here, but what happens is they get it back to the station and and their producer cuts it down to what they want to put on TV. They'll have the entire story. It's just that whatever that producer uh, and it also depends on what type of time of the year it is. If it's sweeps week, uh, they want the ratings. It just depends on what they put on. But there are some reporters to get the whole story. Uh, unfortunately, it's cut down before it's aired uh, by not 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 by them, but they're they're bosses. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you and I, we've definitely done you know uh, interviews with the news media, and about maybe a minute and two seconds is, is put on air or maybe two minutes of it is put on the air. Uh, so a lot of things occur uh, once things get back to the, uh, to the, to the news station that uh, is not put out. And so that, that's why you've got, and again, it kind of goes back to this cons- conspiracy theory that some people have about uh, the news media uh, and, and I have to say this, kid. I think there is a, you know, with everything that is going on, and I, I uh, made a comment earlier today about when you when you have a a politician who is planting the seeds about theories about the COVID uh, virus. Uh, now all of a sudden, there, the seed is being planted about the postal system. The seed has been planted about fake news. And all of these things continue to get so much media attention. And for me, I ask myself this question, why is the the news media feeding into all of these here seeds that are being planted? If you know it's not true, why are you even giving it the time of day? Why even talk about it? Because the more you talk about it, it just becomes a part of the news cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Those are just the times we're in, man. Yeah. Uh, But, hey, we want to remind our listeners, you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, And we want to remind you that the calling number to the show is uh, 646-929-0130. And we also want to remind you that if you uh, can't listen to the show live, uh, you can also catch the show uh, on our rebroadcast, and uh, the the rebroadcast shows are uh, you can catch those every day uh, at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at the BachelorNews.airtime.pro. Uh, that's uh, the rebroadcast shows of You and the Law at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That would be uh, 3 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Standard Time at the bachelornews.airtime.pro. 
So just reminding you, there's still many ways of you uh, to, to listen to the show. If you can't catch us live, uh, you can catch those rebroadcast shows, Keith. But uh, the, the topic of today and, and will be for, for many uh, shows to come over the next couple of weeks is building bridges, uh, you know, that un, uh, for law enforcement understanding the communities that they're serving is, is something that uh, is really needed a lot more now it's needed more now than it's ever been and we go back to how we started to show off keith with that 1965 audio clip in selma alabama uh, and i guess my question is to you and i to our listeners uh has law enforcement waited too long to to rebuild those bridges Yeah, I I think I I think we're doing a good I think we're doing a good job. We could do better, and I think right now we're in a position where some police chiefs don't know what more they can do. Um, I, just, I think that's where I think it's a holding pattern right now. You know, do, what do we do? Uh, do we continue to do the same thing that we've been doing? Uh, do we try to do new things? If we do try new things, will they see, appear uh, legitimate, or will they just appear that we're just doing something just because? So I think there's that that sense of the unknown out there. But you know, like well, the question Michael asked earlier, you just got to keep doing it. You know, you you, yeah. you got to keep doing it. You can't be afraid to try new things or go back to the drawing board or even try things that you tried before with a little different spin on it. Uh, they don't. They don't you in these positions and pay you what they pay you uh, to to bounce, you know, to uh, go off in a corner and and, and just uh, wilt. You gotta you gotta face the, the the issues that are going on at the time. Uh, yeah. So, well, and another thing, Keith, uh, it, you know, you have to ask yourself these questions the, for the people that are in leadership, whether you are a mayor, uh, governor, or especially on a local level. Yeah, your mayors, um, uh, are you really connecting with the right people in the in the communities? Uh, because oftentimes you see certain individuals who are uh, well known to certain individuals who they may serve on this committee or they may serve on this advisory panel or they may become a part of something that and you're missing out on the key people who really need to be sitting at the table, uh, such as your Black Lives Matter, such as your your all your other organizations, NAACPs, and your Latino organizations, uh, your LGBTQ community. All of those people need to be have a voice at the table, and not just a certain group. Because what you see a lot of times is if this is a well-known pastor. They're going to be at the table, but somebody that is not well known, who may have a better connection to the community, they they may not have a seat at the table. So that's a part of building those bridges as well, Keith. Absolutely, absolutely. We just had a chop it yeah. up with the cop. We just had a chop it up with the cop at a local uh, African American barbershop. Man, it was amazing. It was amazing. Um, and and, and, and that's so, a great program. So home, man. Yeah, yeah, and, I feel so and much that's a great home. program yeah. you guys got. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. That's a great that. program. Well, hey, uh, sir, we're coming to the to the 
top of the hour, and uh, we definitely want to uh, re- remind our listeners we want to thank you for listening to You and the Law uh, on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And uh, Chief Swag, uh, we'll see you, uh, see you see you next time, sir. All right, man. And to the listeners out there, God bless. Thank you for uh, tuning in, and we'll see you. All right, my brother. Love you, man. All right. Love you, too, brother. Hey, you listen to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Have a good evening.